Before we begin, please note that multiple and sometimes conflicting pronunciations of some Native American names were discovered as part of research for this series. Every effort has been made to pronounce these names as respectfully as possible. Please also know that the DAR Continental Congress approved the American Indians Committee in 1936, and the National Society continues to follow the lead of the federal government in retaining that terminology. For example, the Bureau of Indian Affairs and the Museum of the American Indian. The Our Patriots Podcast honoring the men and women who achieved American independence and taken from the pages of American Spirit, the Daughters of the American Revolution's award-winning magazine. A revolutionary leatherneck, Captain John Trevette played a leading role in the Continental Marines' first amphibious landing. Written by Christine Webb and Bill Hutchins for American Spirit magazine. His name may not be prominent in most American history books, but the daring exploits of Marine Captain John Trevette had a lasting impact not only on the Revolution, but also the history of the United States Marine Corps. Beginning his military career as a midshipman on one of the first five ships commissioned in the Continental Navy, Trevette worked his way up the ranks and took part in two of the Navy's most famous expeditions in the Bahamas the capture of Fort Nassau in 1776 and Fort Montague in 1778. Early Years Not much is known about Trevette's early life except that he was born in Newport, Rhode Island in 1747 to Elizar and Mary Church Trevette. Prior to his military service, Trevette most likely first went to sea on a merchant ship but little record of him exists before November 1775 when Trevette arrived in Philadelphia from Providence, Rhode Island aboard the Katia, which was fittingly renamed the Providence upon arrival in Pennsylvania. From there, he transferred to the Columbus, aboard which he was commissioned as a midshipman. Captained by Abraham Whipple, Columbus was among the first five warships in the Continental Navy. It sailed for the first time on January the 4th, 1776, departing amid much celebration by onlookers. Engaging the British Though vastly outnumbered by the British Navy, Columbus and her sister ships were expected to harry British shipping and naval vessels. Congress's Naval Committee had ordered Commodore Essex Hopkins, the Commander-in-Chief of the Continental Navy, to engage the British so that our unnatural enemies meet with all possible distress on the sea. Hopkins' orders directed the fleet to attack English ships off Virginia or the Carolinas if possible. If not, they were to sail to the Bahamas. But winter proved a tough foe for the American ships, as ice-clogged rivers kept most ships bottled up in port for several weeks waiting for a thaw. Once underway, Hopkins decided to sail to the island of New Providence in the Bahamas in order to seize large British stores of gunpowder, which the colonies desperately needed. En route to the Bahamas, Trevette was commissioned a first lieutenant in the Continental Marines, created by Congress on November the 10th, 1775, to provide a seaborne fighting force as well as to keep order aboard ships. The Continental Marines were disbanded in April 1793 and reactivated in July 1798 as the United States Marine Corps, which traces its roots to 1775. The fleet approached Nassau on New Province around March the 1st. 
On March the 3rd, a force of more than 250 Marines and sailors went ashore to secure the town and its military stores. Led by Marine Captain Samuel Nicholas, the future first commandant of the Marines, the men assured the residents that they did not intend to harm them or their property. They only wanted the gunpowder stored at Fort Nassau. But the Americans had been slow in getting into position and did not seal off the harbor. This gave the Bahamian governor, Montfort Brown, time to load much of the gunpowder onto two ships that slipped past the Continental Fleet. Although little powder was left on the island, the Americans found large stockpiles of cannon, artillery, and other military supplies. Over the next two weeks, they loaded their ships with the precious cargo before departing on March 17th. The raid ensured that, quote, no longer would the revolution be viewed as just a localized rebellion by a few radical dissidents, effectively internationalizing the war, according to Charles R. Smith's Marines and the Revolution, a history of the Continental Marines in the American Revolution, 1775 to 1783, published by University Press of the Pacific in 2005. Moreover, this was the first time the American flag flew over foreign soil and also the first in an as-yet-unbroken line of successful marine amphibious landings. Taking Prizes Shortly after returning to the United States, Trevette transferred to the Andrew Doria, commanded by Captain Nicholas Biddle, which soon captured two British ships, the Oxford and the Crawford. Trevette served as prize master's mate in the crew that took the Oxford to Providence, Rhode Island. In July 1776, after a brief stay in Virginia where Trevette heard the Declaration of Independence read, he set off on another cruise on the Andrew Doria, which captured several more British ships. Soon after, Trevette returned to Rhode Island for a leave of absence following a British attack on Newport that forced his family to flee their home. In February 1777, Trevette joined the Providence and in June was commissioned as a Marine captain. It was shortly after his promotion that he executed one of his most impressive feats of leadership. Triumphant Return to the Bahamas In late 1778, Trevette and a group of Marines again sailed for the Bahamas on Providence, this time under the command of Captain John Rathbun, to capture the HMS Mary. Once in New Providence, Trevette remembered that during his first trip to the Bahamas, he had pulled a slat from the fence surrounding the fort and that it could be their means of entry. He was pleasantly surprised to see the hole was still there. Through the gap in the fence, he gained access to the fort where he heard the sentinels call, All is well. Trevette gathered his men and led them to the wall, discovering that the sentinels made their call every 30 minutes the Marines stealthily scaled the wall and captured the two Sentinels without firing a shot. Throughout the night, the Marines worked to maneuver the fort's cannon to defend their position, stopping every 30 minutes to cry out, all is well. At dawn, they ran up the American flag, signaling that they had taken the fort. Although Trevette's squad consisted of only about 30 men, he convinced the town leaders that a much larger Marine detachment had taken the fort, allowing his men to remain relatively undisturbed. The Marines changed positions atop the fort at regular intervals to maintain the illusion of a larger force. Despite several tense moments over the next three days, Trevette and his men managed to leave New Providence with five prize ships in tow, including the Mary. Full from Grace but after returning from New Providence, Trevette's good fortune began to run out. 
The Navy Prize Board ruled the captured Mary was a merchant ship, not a military vessel, meaning that the crew would receive only half of the prize money they had anticipated. Trevette unsuccessfully appealed the ruling. His insistence on its unfairness led to his falling out of favor with the Navy Board, which stripped him of command of Providence's Marines. After staying in Rhode Island to conduct some personal business in May 1780, Trevette once again went to sea, this time aboard the Trumbull, captained by James Nicholson. On its voyage, the Trumbull was attacked by British ships. Trevette lost an eye and his foot was wounded in the fighting. Later, aboard the Dean, Trevette was captured by British forces and held as a prisoner of war until late 1780 when he convinced a British officer to send him to the West Indies. Trevette's ship was intercepted by the French, who freed him. Trevette participated in several more cruises aboard French ships until eventually making it back to the United States in May of 1782. He died at the age of 76 in November of 1823. He was completely blind the last four years of his life. A surprising legal legacy. As one of America's first Marine officers, Trevette's bravery, daring, and initiative set a precedent for all future Marines who studied the actions of Continental Marines and honor their memory. Trevette's name also has a surprising connection to constitutional law. He was the plaintiff in the landmark Trevette v. Whedon case of 1786, according to Smith's history. In 1786, the Rhode Island General Assembly declared paper currency to be legal tender. Anyone who refused to accept it could be punished. In September 1786, Trevette bought some meat from a butcher named John Whedon in Newport, Rhode Island. Trevette paid Whedon in Rhode Island currency, but the butcher refused to accept it. The episode resulted in Whedon being tried by the local court for violating the state law. Whedon's attorney argued that the court lacked jurisdiction and that the law was unconstitutional. The five-judge panel agreed and dismissed the charge. In doing so, the court established the precedent for the doctrine of judicial review that courts may review the constitutionality of laws that would be at the heart of the U.S. Supreme Court's decision in Marbury v. Madison in 1803, a case that helped define the boundaries between the executive and judicial branches of U.S. government. I hope you have enjoyed this edition of the Our Patriots podcast and that you'll listen to future installments, each focused on a patriot who helped to win our independence. I also know that you will enjoy reading more about our nation's fascinating history by receiving a subscription to American Spirit magazine. Visit us at dar.org and search for American Spirit. Consider, too, researching your family tree and joining our service organization of dedicated women devoted to promoting historic preservation, education, and patriotism. There's something for everyone in today's DAR. This has been the Our Patriots Podcast, a dynamic duo high-five production in association with the Daughters of the American Revolution and Tin Shingle.